Assalamu alaikum peace be with you brother and Imam Usman Manan how are you Wa alaikum assalam uh, peace be with you as well I'm good alhamdulillah how are you Very very good how was uh, the weekend busy Uh my weekend wasn't that busy Okay it good okay you chilled out Yes uh but your weekend must have been busy <laughs> Yes my be- weekend was actually quite busy and um quite refreshing at the same time so we as you know um as you're hinting towards uh, we had the annual gathering of the um, the Muslim Elders Association which uh, um was a three day event so Friday Saturday and Sunday and it concluded yesterday with the concluding address from none other than the current head of the community hazrat mirza masood ahmed may allah be his helper uh who talked about um um uh, various things uh, but um uh, a lot about the importance of uh, prayer yes. and um, how important that is to inculcate that habit in yourself uh, as well as in your progeny to be successful both in this life and the hereafter. Yes, definitely. Uh can you tell us a little bit about the Elders Association? Uh, I think we mentioned these terms the youth association of the community. Um so if you can just give a brief overview for the listeners who don't know much about this. Sure, absolutely. So the so the structure within the organization is that uh, there is obviously the uh, the the overall overarching um uh, and the Muslim community and uh, then uh, within that community there are three uh, major aug- auxiliary organizations uh, the first one is um the organiz- the auxiliary organization for women um which was established uh, 100 years ago now uh, so there is the um, the Muslim Women's Association um and they they are very active in various areas they um uh, for people who don't know the kind of work they do they as part of the 100 year anniversary um 
uh, over the last two, three years, they have planted 100,000 trees here in the UK, oh, wow. o- only them, without any help from anybody else, from from uh, any any men. So they, they managed to do that mm-hmm. all by themselves. And then, you know, similarly, so much other work that they do with with the food banks and with blind charities and, uh, and so many other things. So very, very active in that sphere. And then there is... Um, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association, uh, which really has two parts. So one is the um, uh, the younger members of the Youth Association, which is members from seven-year-old onwards to 15-year-old. And then there is um, um, the older part of the association, which is all members from 15-year onwards to 40 years. Um, and then beyond 40 years, there is what is what we call the elders association. So, yeah, you become an elder in the in the, mm-hmm. um, in the community when you become um, 40. So, um, yeah, so, so the elders association really had this. Uh, actually, all three um, auxiliary organizations have yeah. um, had, as you, as you know, you're part of the youth association. <coughs> Over the last three weeks, all of them have had their annual conventions and separate annual conventions. Um, yours uh, was um, uh, more um, of a tailor-made event held at uh, at Kingsley. You put you guys yeah. put up uh, marquees and um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Ours was uh, was held here in the Betul Fatu Mosque in uh, in South London. So as I said, yeah, three days three day event. So and and lots of things. So there are various um, competitions. So there's sports competitions. Uh, there's basketball. There's um, um, uh, there's racing. There's so many other things. Mm. Uh, there's what, volley- did, what did you win? Well, there's volleyball. No, I didn't. I didn't uh, participate. <laughs> Sorry. Are you too old for this as well? <laughs> no. I, yeah. I think I'm not too fit. I, I think is the right mm-hmm. word for it. Yeah. Um, and uh, then there were other things as well, like um, uh, you know, academic competitions, like speech competitions, poetry competitions, um, a recitation of the Holy Quran competition. And then um, finally, um, uh, you know, there was um, uh, there were addresses by various members of uh, the community, um, and and those were the uh, you know they found to be very refreshing and yeah. and um, as, as something that um, you know you can reminisce and uh, and talk about for for days, and I'm sure will be talked about for talked about for days, uh, with uh, ending with obviously the uh, um, with the best, which is. The address by our caliph, uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. Yesterday, so yeah, so those were the the last um, sort of three days, and um, yeah, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Okay, moving uh, quickly on, um, uh, let's uh, have a look at the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. So most of the headlines this morning. Um, are actually dominated by what's happening in the Middle East. So a new level of horror as Middle East erupts is the headline in the Metro. Its uh, front page depicts harrowing scenes from both Israel and the Gaza Strip. In Tel Aviv, a woman is comforted after a rocket attack while in Gaza, the man surveys rubble left by an Israeli air raid. The paper reports Israel launched ferocious revenge attacks after... Hamas militants killed more than 600 people and took 100 hostages in the bloodiest day of terror in 50 years against the Jewish Jewish state. 
The Financial Times uh, pictures Israeli security force walking past a police station close to the Gaza border that was uh, destroyed after Hamas militants stormed the area. The paper's lead story notes that Israel has cut off the supply of electricity, fuel and goods to Gaza. A front page inside column by Andrew England says the attack is a pivotal moment for a nation which has long prided itself on the ability of its security and intelligence establishment to preempt and crush threats to its borders. Violence escalates as the death toll surges to over 1,000 is the headline in The Guardian. It reports that the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has described the Hamas assault as an indiscriminate terrorist attack. The lead story also highlights Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's um, televised address telling people in Gaza to get out of there now but points out that these people have no way to leave this tiny, overcrowded Mediterranean territory. The Daily Telegraph top lines on the U.S. sending warships and fighter jets to support Israel in a show of strength against Hamas. It also writes Britain has offered a share in, to share intelligence with Israel following what the paper describes as a major intelligence failure. On the right of the page is a picture of smiling shiny Luke who has been identified as the woman whose naked body was paraded through Gaza after militants stormed a festival in Israel. Terrorism will not prevail, headlines the Daily Express as it quotes Rishi Sunak. The Prime Minister has has assured his Israeli counterpart Benjamin Netanyahu of the UK's steadfast support as Israel defends itself. The Times focuses on Israel massing tanks on troops on the border with Gaza. Meanwhile, in the centre of its front page is a picture of British national Nathaniel Young, who has been in Israel's army and was killed in action. Also pictured is Jake Mallow, 26, from North London, who moved to Israel two years ago and is part of the security team at the event. The Daily Mail pictures the faces of six hostages taken by Hamas militants, all female and and ranging in age from a girl of two to women of 84, pawns of the merciless terrorist. The accompanying headline says, the harrowing mushroom of smoke and flames emanates from an Israeli attack on a high-rise tower building in Gaza City, which is pictured on the front page of the eye. The paper focuses on growing fears for the 100 hostages, saying their concerns Israel will not be able to rescue hostages seized by Hamas and their locations being unknown. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. A reminder of the two topics that we shall talk about uh, starting 7.30 a.m. So the first uh, is about AI in the work in the workplace. So we shall be talking about artificial intelligence. And the second topic, which we shall start at around 8.15 a.m., is about education. How important is education? Is it as important as edu- as oxygen is the question we shall be asking. We shall now take a very quick break to stay tuned. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashhadu an la 
أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one's neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ میں پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز آف اللہ بی اپون یو ویلکم بیک ٹو دس لائیو ایڈیشن آف دا بریکفسٹ شو فرام ساؤتھ لنڈن اسٹوڈیوز آف وائس آف اسلام وی آر دس مارننگ ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ دا دا ہیڈ لائنز اپیئرنگ دا دا کی نیوز ایونٹس ایونٹس ود ان دا کمیونٹی ایز ویل ایز ایونٹس ود ان دا پولیٹیکل ورلڈ ہیئر ان دا یو کے ایز ویل اے ریمائنڈر آف دا ٹو ٹاپکس دیٹ وی شیل بی ڈسکسنگ ٹو ڈیز دا فرسٹ ٹاپک ویچ وی شیل اسٹارٹ اراؤنڈ سیون تھرٹی اے ایم ایز اباؤٹ اے آئی سو آرٹیفیشیل انٹیلیجنس ہاؤ امپورٹنٹ ایز دیٹ ہاؤ ایز اٹ گوئنٹ شیپ اس اینڈ ویل شیل بی فوکسنگ آن دا امپورٹنس آف آرٹیفیشیل انٹیلیجنس ان دا ورک پلیس اینڈ فرام 8.15 a.m. onwards, we shall talk about um, education, the importance of education. Uh, is it as important as education? Uh, is it as important as uh, oxygen is what we shall be discussing? Right. Why um, uh, we um, have been talking about, um, uh, about various things, I thought it would be pertinent to... to talk about the labor conference which is happening as we speak um started over the weekend and i think it's uh, it's uh, it's expected to continue over the next um a uh, couple of days i now have live with me somebody who is a member of the labor party and who is live at the conference there assalamu alaikum peace with you mr hamid hanif khan uh, very warm welcome to the breakfast show Uh, welcome to you guys and uh, thank you for having me on yes so uh, peace be upon you brothers thank you very much no thank you for joining us tell us yeah tell us a bit about uh, what's been happening at the at the conference over the last couple of days and what shall we expect today yeah sure um awesome so yeah the labor party conference like all conferences i think this is the last in the swing of the major parties uh, the first one we had was the liberal democrats um i think they were down south uh, um and then it was in manchester with the tory party uh, and now we're in liverpool uh, with the labor party so the whole kind of united kingdom converges this weekend and the next few days um into liverpool to hear various uh, speeches and talks and from all the different shadow ministers with various announcements and yeah there's been loads and more to come and um just to kind of describe it a little bit um, i mean many of our listeners probably understand how we have our own conventions in our own community where many people come and they take part and 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 listen to friends I've not seen for a long time so it's a very similar kind of atmosphere where you've not met someone for a long time you have not travel so people come and swap ideas but they mainly obviously to talk about the the state of the country politics etc so it always starts on a saturday and that's always dedicated to the women and it's a, it starts off with a women's conference where many announcements happen then sunday which was yesterday we have lots of other events that go on but say for example many kind of uh, receptions take place from various sponsors of the labor party conference um, yesterday i was to them one of them was at the small business for labor the smes which are the backbone reception where we had many of our shadow cabinet ministers turn up so it's kind of um really exciting and just before we ask my next kind of question is when you then come to the conference you'll see many people from all different factions of the labor party handing you out leaflets about different causes 
what to do, what to do, what to support. Because the conference is, is a time when the Labour Party makes policy. Mm. <laughs> and there would be delegates across the country that have been sent by their local Labour parties to go and represent their views. And so sometimes you might have seen it on TV where people come and stand and they talk and they say this is my first time at conference and then they give lots of speeches actually they're representing the views of their local constituency based on very big policies that we will then take forward into the next general election although a lot of it has happened so that's kind of the mood and it's very exciting and, and today they'll be very similar there'll be many conferences many exhibitions and many announcements uh, that will happen. So hopefully that kind of sets the scene a little bit as to what goes on at a Labour Party conference. And it will finish this Wednesday. Right, OK. And I would imagine uh, Keir Starmer would speak on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, he will speak on Wednesday. But uh, actually, as a, as a, his main speech, yes, but he will be doing the rounds like mm. every every other shadow minister this evening there'll be a number of receptions where all the different regions come together and have their own reception say for example the london region the southeast region the midlands and the north of scotland they'll all be having their big conferences and obviously he'll be going around with angela Rayner, the deputy shadow um, minister prime minister will also be doing speeches it's basically to um, encourage uh, the activists obviously those who come to the Party conference many of them are activists as well but but you know yesterday at the women's conference we had quite a number of very big ticket um announcements um oh. one of them was um from angela reina when she talked about the affordable housing i mean one of her biggest pledges would be that she would deliver one of the biggest boosts to affordable housing for a generation um, which was really big because it kind of unlocks the government grants so that new homes could be delivered because that's one of the biggest challenges that people are sure. facing. And it's how do we solve that? Because by building houses, for example, builds communities. And by building communities, brings in wealth and prosperity and, and uh, structure needs to be done. So that was one of the really big announcements. Any, uh, any numbers the sort of talk, um, talked about in that, in that announcement? Um, well, you know, for, for some time, the, um, the kind of the pledges of what local authorities have been given uh, to be able to... Um, deliver on the number of houses but you know the, the figures are in then you know hundreds of thousands that's the only way we're going to do it if not even more than that but it will depend on the program as to what is required in each region as well um, so I don't know the exact figures but it will be there to you know boost and the key thing is it's affordable housing and and that's the key, that's the where the biggest um, kind of development will happen, and that's where we need to because many, as you know, the, the availability of homes and houses is, is sure, it's a major depleted um, quite a lot. Um, and then you, you'll probably find big announcements on the energy as well. I mean, Ed Miliband, one of his quotes are, "The next Labour and cooperative government will turbocharge community energy." Because, as we know, energy prices have gone through the roof. And one of the other kind of affiliations with the Labour Party is the Cooperative Party. And, and most people probably wouldn't even know about this particular party, but most people shop at a, at a cooperative shop. Hmm. 
but that is also an affiliation of, of the Labour Party, just one of the arts. Very interesting. Okay, excellent. Um, so finally, um, you recently won uh, uh, a by-election um, Labour Party, I should say, has, has won it and you're a member of Labour Party. Um, what's the, the mood around that um, uh, um, in, in, the, in the conference? So, um, obviously, that was over in, in Scotland, um, but there'll be many more by-elections and, um, and we will win more. But the mood here is, is one of excitement, one of a government in waiting, and the people are um, very excited. And actually, through normal conferences, I've been to quite a few of them, but this time round, there's been a massive influx. There's been a lot more people attending this conference than any other conference I can remember. Because usually on the weekend, it's not so busy. But yesterday, it was like it was already the first day of a conference, which right. officially kind of starts today um, with all the kind of big speeches and, and some of the announcements of what's happening. So, yeah, um, the excitement is there. And obviously, it's... Um, uh, our great uh, leader down up in Scotland for the Labour Party, Saha, he's very good and he's excited and he's turned the party around massively there. And if we can win in Scotland, then we do have a very strong chance uh, of um, not um, actually relying on any other party at all, which obviously the poll suggests anyway. But one of the other things that has been very clear here is no complacency at all in the slightest and every vote every individual person matters and that's been been the message here uh, because we cannot actually just although we're, we're quite high ahead in the poll but mm. that's no complacency and and um, that's the key, kind of key thing so that, that's the, the move, really. People are really excited. Mm. There's so much to talk about here, energy, housing, security, and anti-harassment, uh, cost of living. And every fringe event will have its own... Uh, sorry, what I mean by fringe events, you, d you have the main... Sure, uh, and then you will have huddles and you'll have other, other things taking place. Absolutely. Yeah, many yeah. events that will go on, mm. on and they're under the package of fringe events range from every single aspect of our society all the way from dementia care to as i said last night i was a reception at the small to medium size uh, businesses yeah. uh, reception all the way up to education energy and um, you name it there'll be a fringe and there'll be fringe events with the broad church of the labor party as well excellent Mr. Hanif Khan, thank you so very much for joining us all the way from Liverpool and uh, all, the all the very best with the remaining three days. Yeah, sure. Okay, thanks very much for your time and uh, best of luck with the rest of the show. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So that was Mr. Hanif Khan, uh, who is a member of the an active member of the Labour Party and uh, joined us uh, from Liverpool and talked uh, to us about what's been happening at the conference there and what can we expect in the next three days as well. It's supposed to end on Wednesday, as he said. Right. Um, we are coming up to um, 7.30 a.m., which is when we're supposed to start our first topic, which is about artificial intelligence in the workplace. A very quick break. And when we come back, we delve right into that topic. Do stay tuned.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamualaikum. Welcome back to the breakfast show. Uh, we are starting our first segment and we'll be talking about AI, artificial intelligence in the workplace uh, specifically. So the gist of the story is that research by the Institute for the Future of Work, the IFOW, Imperial College London and Warwick Business School has revealed that adoption of artificial intelligence, robotics and automated equipment has an overall positive impact on jobs, which is um, very obvious. But what is um, AI and how it is, how is it used in the workplace? So artificial intelligence, um, as the name says, is is basically um, robots or technology which uses human intelligence and uses the intelligence we have provided for uh, that system to make future outcomes. Uh, so this is um, artificial intelligence is related to the role of robotics and automated equipment. Um, AI has been used before in companies uh, such as Google, um, and they used the advanced searching feature in YouTube, Amazon, uh, and even in uh, Net- uh, Netflix. Uh, in Siri, Alexa, um, they understand human speech. Artificial intelligence has. Uh, was started as an academic discipline in the year 1956 after having gone through many phases because of financial losses and uh, disappointment in the year 2012 machinery and deep learning advanced overtaking previous AI methods uh, funding increased and the interest (coughs) so the findings from the report where that technology is increasing demands of new skills. 83% of businesses reportedly said, um, while 69% said it either battered the job quality or a little, by a little or by a lot. In 30 years, Professor James Hayton says there will not be any jobs. um, And the evidence found shows that technology creates jobs and upskills jobs also downskills jobs and disrupts other jobs but in future it will be good for the economy as a whole excellent thank you very much uh, for that intro uh, let's go now live to our first guest um, for the show which is mr arif khan who arif khan is an expert in esg rpa and ai innovation we shall uh, ask him what all of that is he's also an accomplished ai subject matter expert with over 18 years of experience in it transformation across diverse industries he um, is a distinguished member of the institute for robotic process automation and holds an msci in computer science from university college london with specialization in artificial intelligence and machine learning assalamu alaikum peace be with you a very warm welcome to the breakfast show Peace be upon you. Great to be with you both. Thank you very much for joining us uh, early in the morning. So, yeah, firstly, uh, what is ESG and RPA? AI, I know. ESG <laughs> <laughs> is all around sustainability. So I think one of the key things in the modern world is not only how does, do we advance technology, but how do we do it in a in a, uh, you know, in a sustainable way? Uh, oh, so environment, okay, so, so environmental, social, and, um, uh, and and social goals. So, so That's exactly right. In correct. line with the United Nations. Okay. Uh, no, correct. Okay, I thought it. 
it was something specific to the to, to the oh, yeah, there's a lot of acronyms a lot of acronyms <laughs> in technology so i understand the question okay excellent so uh yeah the first let's get the first major question out of the way which is on a lot of people my people's minds is ai expected to replace um, humans anytime soon it's a really good question. I think the best way to... Uh, the problem is that whenever we hear the word artificial intelligence or robots, immediately our thinking, at the, what we envision even in our eyes, is shaped a lot of the time by science fiction and Hollywood. So mm. we immediately think of Terminator and some of these images of robots that are engaged in warfare. Yeah. When really, I think, uh, a better way of thinking about this question, about will we be replaced by technology, is, is look at some of the disruptions maybe in our own lifetime that we've seen. So have we been replaced by computers? There were people who thought, computers would replace us have have we been replaced by calculators many thought that you know the math teachers would no longer be required or maths wouldn't be taught as soon as a calculator came out so i think when we look at this question what we see in in our everyday lives as well think about the last time you went to a supermarket checkout you know were there still people working there i think what we're seeing is yes there's disruption let's take the supermarket checkout maybe the best way to explain it yes there's disruption some of the bits of the job that are very specific and mundane the actual scanning of items and just paying maybe they can be replaced by computers but they'll always be human supervisors around and there'll be those who will always want a human touch as well if you think about again supermarkets there'll be people who queue up and avoid the self-checkout and want to do it uh, with a human and interact and then also crucially there's always uh, you know there's someone going around checking what happens how many times have we been at checkout there's a problem someone needs to step in so i think that idea of augmentation collaborating with technology is is the more likely paradigm than as anyone being replaced anytime soon Right, so nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be scared of. Mm-hmm. I think fear is a really good. I mean, if you think about our prior, you know, how human beings are wired, like you know, we're, we're wired to look out for any threat to us, and you know, and, mm. and, and you know, mm. we, we definitely look for fear. Definitely comes up when you hear this because it's partly an unknown as well. I think one factor is the science fiction. Secondly, it's an unknown to many people. They don't really understand what's happening in this sphere. And things are moving quickly. That that can't be denied. Things are moving quickly. So Correct. even for me to try and make predictions about 10, 20 years mm. would be foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I don't think so. I think like a lot of technology, uh, the, the people who are saying it's going to change everything, you know, are often the ones, if you take a step back, are often the ones who are driving these technology companies and need that narrative to be out there. I think in reality, it will uh, there will be a disruption there is being a disruption there is a disruption already uh, but I don't see it as something to be feared as long as we have the right guardrails around it Thank you Mr. Khan uh, recently um, one of the biggest breakthroughs uh, in AI technology was chat GPT so can you tell yeah. us how powerful this really is because you can uh, you know just do anything with it uh, from homework um, all the way to making bombs to um, even creating software programs. Yeah, and I think the, you hit the nail on the head as to why this was such a big breakthrough. I think pre- previously you had seen highly trained artificial intelligence, but for a very specific purpose. You may have seen you know, the world chess champion decades ago, Garry Kasparov being mm. beaten mm. by an IBM system, Deep Blue. That was trained to play chess and only play chess. And then more recently, you saw Google, some of the Google researchers uh, using Alpha and AlphaGo attack the game of Go. But again, that was very specialized AI being used to tackle one specific area. I think one aspect of ChatGPT is uh, that, it, like you just said, you can, you can use it for creative tasks. You can ask it to debug some issues. Uh, you can task it to summarize content as well. There's all, having all of that under one 
agent in one place is is definitely uh, significant and then the amount of information and data it's been trained on across all range of subjects and so many books as well is uh, is phenomenal and it's probably something that many people thought was a few years off and it was surprised when it first uh, first appeared mm. right so uh while you, you you're absolutely right it it might not be uh, possibly even um, wise to predict you know even 10 10 years down the road what do you what sort of um, innovations can we expect uh, in the world of ai um, in the next let's say one to two years what's starting to happen now is in in the industries is so, so let's split this into two areas you've got the physical robots and and the robots that are actually um, you know in factories and and working in in uh, in these places i remember once i was doing an event at a, a school primary school and i asked them i'd like to end with this question you know do you think robots will replace people hmm. and one young child maybe eight or nine years old said they already have so i said what do you mean he said oh in amazon's uh, factories right now in the delivery hmm. things hmm. their robots are already working there they already have replaced people there hmm. which i thought was a very good answer so in, in terms of physical robots i think you, factories etc industrialization that's happened already and that will affect a certain group of society and that disruption has been happening for many years and will probably continue um physical robots in our home there's talk of it we're probably a few years off but there is talk about it but it will probably take a while for it to become affordable but where i think every single one of us is going to see disruption is probably more with with software robots or or, or you know automation and ai on compete people's desktops laptops uh, and mobile phones so i think what's t- what's taking place in the industry now the big players such as uh, let's take microsoft for example yeah. are taking this chat gpt technology they're using it into their own applications so i think soon all of the applications that you're starting to use that you use in your everyday lives whether it's composing the emails uh, looking at spreadsheets building content such as presentations or even writing a script for a voice of islam show for example <laughs> i think there will be um, agents that will prompt you that will uh, give you support that will give you help where you'll be able to ask they'll be able to see what you're doing and offer you help or you'll be asked you'll be able to ask them to you know can you rewrite this paragraph can you make my intro slightly different can you make this conclusion more impactful and within these applications without you having to go to to another tool you'll be able to see um, you know assistance helping you so microsoft called their copilot uh, you know that's uh, that's one that's a similar mm-hmm. term uh, you know I work for the company UiPath we have a product called Wingman so you can see that the theme here is someone sitting alongside you trying to work with you to improve what you're doing and improve your productivity i think that kind of co-collaboration is something we're, we're starting to see already and, and we'll see a lot more in the next uh, next couple of years we recently saw a few weeks ago only actually or probably um, a few months ago um some of the major uh, tech giants um heads of the tech giants like microsoft um uh, uh, facebook yeah um uh, were talking to us politicians and uh, suggesting that there should be regulation around ai what are your yeah. thoughts on that why do you think that is necessary so the reason this is necessary is the way these uh, machine learning models work and and this ai works is it's trained on historical information it's basically given so let's take one example if you're trying to understand whether uh, if you're trying to use ai to screen people's cvs or resumes and you're trying to work out whether this person is suitable for a job it's something many companies have tried doing saying okay we're going to take a list of uh, we're going to take a particular job specification we're going to take a list of all the applications and we want 
a machine to be able to look at the applications and work out who's best uh, suited for that job. So Amazon tried doing this uh, quite a while ago, I think it was 2018, 2019, uh, and they'd been working on this for many years at that time. And they actually abandoned the project. And the reason they abandoned it was what they found was that bias is a real challenge and issue. So if, for example, there is human bias, and we know in the technology uh, world, often women are underrepresented, if there is that bias, that can feed its way directly into the algorithm. So the way you would train this algorithm is first you would give it examples of successful candidates and unsuccessful candidates to kind of explain to it, this is what a good uh, match looks like from a CV point of view. And what they found was having trained this model, after a while the model was just picking up on scoring that person's application. So if they'd been to a particular female college or if they'd been the head of the women's basketball team, those terms were being picked up by the system and were being used to effectively discriminate. And the reason why that happens is because the system is trained on human behavior previously. You're training it on examples, saying this is what good looks like, this is what bad looks like. If, if the human doing that originally, if there's some bias there, that will become baked into the application. So trying to find a, a proportional data set and excluding bias is crucial. And in the US, it, this has even been reported, you know, in their uh, court system as well. Training training things on historical court cases and trying to use that to work out what the sentencing should be was shown to have racial biases. So there's some really crucial questions. And these are not just theoretical things that may mm. happen. Amazon actually shut down their program in 2019 because of this exact issue. So data privacy, data security is one big thing. And, and something, especially with ChatGPT that's been big is, well, what data is it trained on? Who's gave permission for OpenAI to, to take that material and, and train their system on it? So there's quite a few uh, authors who are, uh, you know, pursuing OpenAI in a legal point of view to say, well, I never allowed my, you know, my copyrighted book to be trained into your machine learning model. So there's a data privacy, data security thing as well. How much data should these systems have access to? Who gives them permission? Can they use our data that we are generating on a day-to-day basis? And who are they sharing that with? So those are all crucial, uh, crucial things that need to be discussed and there needs to be regulation around that. Um, finally, since you work uh, closely with uh, banking and insurance um, companies, uh, what sort of innovations um, uh, are being worked out, worked out or thought of in those sectors? That's a good question. I think also with uh, with these large scale systems, there's always been, there's always a lookout for efficiency. You know, there's always a talk of massive processes, whether it's in, internally within their finance or HR teams, or for customers, retail customers ringing up, or sending inquiries. How can we handle them in a more efficient way? That's always a focus of the business. And I think one of the most interesting areas I'm working in is around uh, email analysis. You know, can these machine learning models, when an email query comes in, to say, uh, "This is my name. These are my details." I would like to change my address from this to this or I have a complaint this is what I was expecting when I called up the contact center and this is what happened how much of that conversation can a machine understand and start to respond so can a machine take that information in from the emails of whichever channel it comes in uh, craft a response to say sorry person such and such we have now amended these systems this is apologies for any uh, inconvenience and to make up for it you know here is something we will, we will credit your account can a machine do all of that plus the update and then maybe just provide it to a human to validate and verify and if they can that provides a real efficiency so that analysis of, the, of emails uh, and, and chat traffic that comes into the financial services space that's one area that is definitely being uh, impacted in a positive way with these uh, these systems that can understand language and, and you know really understand not only what is the person saying but also their sentiment are they upset are they happy and really trying to in a 
automated way try and understand what the request is and then you can always run it past a human being before before something goes out the door excellent thank you very much uh, mr khan for joining us uh, really early in the morning have a lovely day and the rest of the week thank you very much thanks for having me thank you bye bye so that was uh, mr arif khan who is an expert in ai innovation let me know now go straight to our second guest for the segment who is abigail gilbert and uh, she's the director of praxis at the institute of the future of work she is a policy researcher specializing in ai governance for the workplace um assalamu alaikum peace be with you a very warm welcome to the breakfast show Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let me start by asking, um, Abigail, what um, AI-related research work are you currently involved in? Well, I suppose we, um, the, so the Institute for the Future of Work was founded in 2019 um, following a, a parliamentary inquiry that was looking at the impact of AI and machine learning on labour markets, but also on the way that firms operate and people and how job quality is impacted. And I suppose we, we, we undertake research um, looking at the role that technology plays in changing the future, but with a vision to try and make a fairer future through better work. And in that regard, we do kind of different types of research work, but also developing different types of solutions to intervene uh, in this landscape and make sure that things are steered towards more positive outcomes for society. So one of the major kind of pieces of uh, projects that we're doing at the moment is called the Pissarese Review, which is generously funded by the Nuffield Foundation. And this is trying to understand what's happening both at the level of um, aggregate changes in labour markets. We're looking at how technology is disrupting the availability work, but also changing its terms and conditions and the kind of nature of work at that scale. Then also looking at firms and how human resource management, so how managers in organisations who are adopting technology, how they think about people and how they think about technology impacts the way in which it's deployed in practice and what that, what that means for changes to job quality. And then also speaking to individuals about how their experience of technology introduction in the workplace um, impacts them and the different types of uh, consequences that can have. And from those kinds of types of research, we then try and develop proposals and solutions and responses that make sure that better outcomes um, result. Thank you. Could you give us some some uh, um, major examples of AI changing um, workplaces and replacing people? Yeah, sure. So I suppose it, it's it's important, and one of the things that um, we do a lot of work to draw attention to is that in the me- in the media, it's very often the focus on the disruption of AI focuses on job losses or what might be called mm-hmm. displacement of work. You know, it, even through COVID, there were these big fears arose again, and this is often the case with new technological revolutions that there's a sense that jobs are just going to disappear. But actually, the, the the nature of these kind of data-driven technologies means that there can be different ways that work is transformed that don't rely on job displacement as the main effect so for instance um the idea of augmentation this kind of i suppose changing the demand for someone's discretion in work and you can have that in a way that makes um, a worker high discretion augmentation requiring more um uh, offering someone the opportunity to do their job in a, in a better way and empowering them so for instance an example of that might be an assembly worker's bionic suit that's obviously powered and responsive by AI. But then on the other hand, and that can often be associated with increased access and improved access to work for some sort of groups and communities, but it can also mean that if the worker is um, required to engage in a higher level of skills use, then they can receive higher wages. In contrast, some of the kind of low discretion augmentation might be um, route instructions for taxi drivers. Obviously, previously there was a kind of 
closed market that relied on a certain set of knowledge that was held by workers and obviously the provision of information <coughs> up which is better for access to work but then has some of trade-offs in terms of pay and, and the nature of how the work system is controlled or equally phenomenon like um intensification of work you will have heard the news stories around amazon workers having to deliver 95 percent task kind of completion rates um mm-hmm. within the working day which prevents them from being able to go to the toilet those workers are algorithmically managed so they instead of having a person for a manager the, the main most important job in that case that's been displaced is the manager and instead the kind of uh, the algorithm is determining what work is deemed as fair and then someone can have their contract terminated if they don't kind of perform at those standards but then equally things like telepresence and um, so you know remote working is what we understand as one of the main changes to work that's arisen through the, our ability to communicate through things certain platforms that allow us to uh, engage in our work remotely but there's also an increased use of um, uh, data gathering technologies to just engage in surveillance and this can obviously change the quality of work for people and then things like matching so it's obviously wonderful the ways in which um, and we understand yeah the ways in which information processing can match people with jobs the best example of this is obviously in the kind of gig economy in the sense of the efficiencies that that can generate but this is also increasingly coming into task allocation within the workplace and in both of these contexts as i heard the previous speaker talk about there are obviously significant risks of um bias and uh risks mm-hmm. to equality so i suppose yeah we think it's quite important to to recognize that there are a number of transformations happening to work that aren't just about displacement mm-hmm. and from what you're saying it sounds like um ai is is increasing uh demand it's it's increasing um 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 basically performance uh and demanding more performance from individuals uh how is that impacting people uh mentally and uh, how are their thoughts are they f- being scared that we might be replaced from uh with ai yeah i think that's a really good question um so definitely uh there's, there's a growing amount of evidence on the impacts on well-being of these technologies and we have in the Pissarides review, a focus on that relationship between the two things. Firstly, there is anxiety um, around risks of deployment, and those there is. we've got a paper coming out soon which suggests that those people who work in professions that are at higher risk of automation mm-hmm. do have um, uh, poorer reported uh, subjective well-being. So basically, people that are at risk of automation, potentially we could read that as they are frightened about that happening. Um, but equally, there are those in-work impacts as well. So we kind of, I suppose, just looking at different mechanisms to encourage those who are adopting technology to think about those impacts before the system is deployed. Mm-hmm. And how is AI affecting younger children, um, schools, um, and um, kind of how are they, because they're, they're kind of growing into this. For them, this might not be a new thing because they are already you know growing with ai so uh, do you have any data or anything uh, on that i'm afraid not um we haven't looked at education although if we if we were it is a potential future uh, space that we would look into but i would recommend our colleagues at the nfer to think about that mm-hmm. Right. Thank you very much, Abigail, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, That was very helpful. Uh, Have a lovely day and the rest of the week. Peace be with you.
Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was Abigail Gilbert, who is the director of Praxis at the Institute of the Future of Work. She's a policy researcher specializing in AI governance for the workplace, and uh, obviously um, sharing with us her expert opinion on um, on AI on the and and the policy side of things. Right. Um, we are this morning talking about AI, um, how AI is already affecting us, how AI is expected to um, uh, to make um, things easier for us and make changes in our lives um, um, actually as well over the next uh, few years. Um, we shall continue this discussion. We are coming up um, uh, to the um, 8 o'clock news in a few minutes' time. We shall take a very quick break, but when we come back, we will continue this discussion um, and take you to the 8 o'clock news. So do stay tuned. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios Voice of Islam. Today is Monday the 19th, sorry, 9th of October 2023. Um, we are this morning uh, talking about AI, the importance of AI, how that is expected uh, to shape the future. Professor James Hayton at the Warwick Business School uh, recently said that, that this technology will spread rapidly, having an impact on jobs as it broadly goes across the economy having the same impact on some jobs. Further, he said society will quickly address these issues faster than we've had to before. Um, automation um, is has created disruption, will create disruption in the short term, but in the long term, more jobs, uh, and this according to research done by Salmons, chimes with this because it presents that 60% of the jobs done today didn't exist in 1940. Industrialization and automation led to new industries, from cars to computers and jobs, from drivers to web engineers and designers. Uh, trend is not certain for growth, however. There are hints for few position, new positions, um, new careers, and some redundancies, of course. 2023 World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs tells us AI and machine specialists being the fastest growing job fields at the moment. Some may use the technology while being enthusiastic. Some may feel scared to engage with it, um, as we can see around us. Hence, it will be generative AI. So it is being common will push others um, into using the, and the, using the technology and not feeling behind. Um, we will continue this discussion uh, on this important subject, something that um, uh, is affecting all of us and will continue to affect um, all of us. Uh, and if it's not affecting uh, you at the moment, you might want to take advantage of this technology because um, uh, in terms of whether it's chat GPT um, or automation taking place in uh, in various other sectors. We, we spoke earlier with an expert in the banking and insurance sector. So they're looking at various ways. So it's 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 bound to come. So it's it's better to um, uh, to sort of uh, equip ourselves with the knowledge and welcome it with open arms and uh, and learn um, uh, and um, and be comfortable with it rather than being um, afraid of it. Right. Uh, we are coming up now to the eight o'clock news. We will break up for the eight o'clock news. But when we come back, we will continue uh, this discussion on AI and we'll close this discussion actually uh, by talking about what uh, is the importance generally of uh, innovation uh, in Islam, of entrepreneurship in Islam, of um, um, even education in Islam. So please do stay tuned. Eight o'clock news is next. I'm a Muslim woman. Modesty is my choice, my freedom. I have my own mind. I have my own voice. I invite you to listen and to look beyond. I am a Muslim woman. Throughout history, mankind has always yearned to know the true essence of beauty. Some have sought beauty in the sights and smells of this world, others in the human form, and more still in the bounties of nature, in orchards, meadows and streams. However, the highest form of beauty is to be found only in the divine being who is manifest in every atom of this universe and whose love gives life its sweetness and freshness. 
In a world of fashion icons, Mary is an example for Muslim women precisely because of her devotion to the divine. And of course, one of the most iconic features of Mary's image was her veil. Across many faith traditions, the veil is a symbol of devotion. It is worn during prayer, symbolizing the idea of taking yourself away from the gaze of the world and turning to your Creator. English poet William Wordsworth wrote that true beauty dwells in deep retreats whose veil is unremoved. It is this brand of beauty, the truest and purest kind, that we seek. Living in today's society, there are many misconceptions surrounding the hijab. A lot of questions arise in people's minds. Does the hijab oppress women? Does it hold them back from achieving their dreams? To me, nothing could be further from the truth. The hijab has given me true freedom, and it has given me a sense of identity. Far from being an inhibition, it has only ever enriched my life. We live in a world today where the female form has lost all its sanctity and is objectified only to serve the male gaze. However, Islam teaches that women are not objects, but beings made to live out the fullness of life. The spiritual and intellectual equals of men, made not to bow to the dictates of fashion, but to serve only the divine. I'm a student of Arabic and Persian at the University of Cambridge, and I'm enabled to live, learn and flourish here while wearing my hijab and holding on to my identity. Having lived in both the Middle East and Europe, I have lived and studied in both East and West while wearing the hijab. Islam lays great emphasis on the education of women. And today, members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association pursue their studies at the highest level. We read, write and think without inhibition. I am part of a team of women's writers from the community who take part in the national dialogue on Islam. I enjoy writing blogs and articles, and I'm also part of an all-women's radio team who research, produce, and present hour-long discussion programs on a variety of topics, with a focus on the role of faith in modern life. In March 2017, a group of Ahmadi Muslim women participated in a solidarity vigil arranged by a women's organization after the attacks on Westminster Bridge. In taking part in the vigil, I stood with my fellow demonstrators against extremism and for peace. Ahmadi Muslim women today follow many different paths of life. However, wherever in the world we may be, in the East or in the West, one thing is for sure. Our hijab is our identity. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. The time is 8.06 a.m. and we're talking about AI this morning. Uh, the benefits of AI. Uh, are there any potential uh, pitfalls? Uh, Imam Usman Manan, um, AI is, is of course, um, uh, can be a great servant, can, can be a great tool as well and we've already seen some benefits of it. It, it can it also be perhaps a detrimental as well can you uh, talk to us about that yes definitely like just like anything i think 
on on the earth everything has benefits and some disadvantages and ai is a a very um um i mean it's a bit on both sides there's uh, many dangers uh, also many advantages in terms of the the benefits uh we see that using uh, ai we have i think one of the um, uh, biggest advantages is decision making and um algorithms which should determine the outcome and we can use those outcomes to uh let's say save on a lot of time and cost um uh the the fact that ai does not need rest ai is available 24/7 that's a huge benefit you need to make a call you need to message someone you can do this at any time of the day at night um so the ai has a lot of benefits over with benefits there's obviously so many dangers and i think most of the dangers are um because ai is lacking the the, the human touch to it um so just as the, the our two guests earlier spoke as well that ai no matter how much you improve it there will always be a, a bias and with a human bias there's also a, an ai bias and that ai bias um might not understand that what uh, or it does not it won't know the limit of its bias uh whereas humans humans understand let's say um we were talking about um a woman uh it wants to hire jobs it will look at the history of uh, how how humans have been treating a woman and in jobs or, or in pay and it will uh, take that outcome from from history uh, and the problem with ai is it it cannot make up something new it has to use history it has to use something which has happened in the past um apart from that there's a lot of privacy concerns there's security risks uh, and another big big issue is the lack of accountability if something goes wrong in the ai world who is responsible for that uh, if there is a a message that has been leaked if a child has been given access to a uh, dangerous information uh, nobody can take accountability for that who are you going to blame google youtube the algorithm software uh, and even if you find something to blame you can't punish it so because ai does not there's no punishment for ai there is no there's no threat to like ai does not feel any threat from anyone that's actually i think in in islam um there's a concept of believing in the hereafter believing in life after death and that is very crucial uh if especially if we link it with this um in in, in this context that consequence um ai does not have any consequence um i mean ai does not feel any consequence so if the artificial intelligence or the software does something wrong it will be blamed on its on the owner whoever owns that company whoever uh takes liability but ai itself the, i mean the system or the app or the or the um the website does not face any punishment in the same way if you look at human beings um if you if we don't believe if we don't have that understanding that my actions will have consequences uh in terms of religion that if i if i do something wrong i will be punished in the hereafter if you don't have this concept then people they can do whatever they want 
if you are for example if you are the the king of a country you are the the prime minister you have the most powerful person in that country you above the law you do something wrong uh, there is a law that goes against you you can change the law so for for people like this or in positions like this you you understand the importance of this concept um of life after death or of, of a concept of punishment and consequences because as as the if you're the top official if you if you're the king of a country um you the law is in your pocket so you you don't have to you will never be accountable for anything but islam tells us that no matter how how great you are there is something above you and that that is god almighty and that is the, the the life after this life so if somebody no matter how powerful they are if they understand that after i've done all this uh, even if i do uh, all these cruelties and take advantage of everything in this world after that in the next world i will be punished and over there i won't be the king so this is a concept which which is very crucial um not just in islam i think for all humans um for those especially who let's say they don't believe in a, in in a life after this world for them they, they they can do whatever they want like this so when we link this to ai uh, one of the dangers of ai was as i said the lack of accountability um that there's no one to blame for this and uh, another another long term uh, disadvantage i think is that uh, humans are uh because we are relying more and more on ai we are more and more using um um automated systems this is decreasing our skills of um um human skills in general for example uh i mean tell me three phone numbers you can remember off your heart you probably can't but one might be your own one might be I don't know an emergency well, contact. Well, to be honest, I sometimes I even <laughs> I trouble remembering my own number now. But yeah, uh, that must be my age. But but you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think even in young people, um, and me personally, I I I know my own phone number and I know my dad's phone number, hmm. and and that's it. Because not your wife's phone any, number. Uh, no, no not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. That might that might be an important. I think it's because um, it, in emergency, I would rather I would turn to my dad, with more experience, he's more. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, older. Whereas I always tell my wife to memorize my number. Um, she, I mean, she doesn't know anyone's number. But so you should know one number that if you lose your phone, you, your batteries die. Um, that's that's dead. not equality, Mum and I. <laughs> so you might want to change that. <laughs> right. No, okay. I think it's it's who he, who your guardian is, whoever is uh, yeah, above okay. you. Okay. Okay. From that perspective. But right. that's a, okay. Right. That's a different thing. But the point is that, um, like even even phone numbers is such a such a insignificant thing to us right now because Correct. everything is saved. Yeah. Uh, our passport passwords. Um, I'm, people don't want to change their password because they're going to forget. Mm, absolutely. Uh, like yeah. uh, and even AI nowadays they're telling you that you already used this password in the previous 2 years or something so you can't use it. Good. You can't have your name in it. Uh you can't have this number in it. Yeah. There has to be a capital letter, a small letter. And uh, I mean for uh, uh, people um who are a bit older were a bit new to this th- this is like a huge problem um they say like i can't remember that so many uh, requirements for this password and then i have to change it every 3 months as well and so this becomes a issue so what ai is doing 
well, unintentionally, uh, well, it doesn't have intention, but in the long term, it is it is decreasing human skill. Uh, memorization is one one big thing. Uh, it is decreasing. It will also decreasing. I think hard hard work. Um, now you can access information so easily that. Um, For example, reading books has become, I think, less, uh, less uh, relevant. Now, reading books is more of a, is for leisure. It's for, it's, it's for, it's, it's a hobby. Uh, before reading books was was essential for you to uh, become successful in life. So there's so many uh, things which are creating um, these circumstances. Um, His Holiness, Hazrat Khalifa Dhul Masih, may Allah be, be its helper, he has also spoken on this topic uh, with with a um, meeting he had with the Al-Islam website team. He said that artificial intelligence is not going to uh, write something by itself. Rather, it is going to produce something based on the points that you have entered. Now, it is possible that some wrong information can also appear through this. So he's, he's warning um, the team Uh, and advising them uh, that scholars should uh, edit and analyze such articles which are being published on the website, um, you know, as a precaution. And then he also said that <clears throat> uh, you need to make sure that you need to make sure that there is no misuse of artificial artificial intelligence. The information available on it and in the in, in the form of books, e-books, audio books, uh, we need to make sure that they are not misused. And if there is uh, such an instance, then how would it be counted? Uh, so His Holiness mentioned that you need to reflect upon this as well. Um, you must assess it from this perspective that it should not be the case that one, once an incident does happen, uh, then we will look for, for measures against it. We should already be prepared. So I think preparing um, against AI and also preparing for AI, um, this is, I mean, the only thing we can do is Um, right now, we need to be aware that how much how much access do we give to our children? How much, um, for example, screen time uh, can children have? How much uh, should we be on our phones ourselves? Uh, you 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 lose track of it um, when you start going on different um, um, apps on TikTok, YouTube. I mean, they are being designed more and more to to capture you in it. Um, There's a funny thing. For example, YouTube have, has like a limit a timer you can set uh, to remind you that uh, you, I mean, you spent an hour on YouTube or something. But at the same time, they they create algorithms to keep giving you videos that don't want you make to uh, don't want you to to stop being on that app. They want you to keep scrolling, keep scrolling. So. However, even though they are showing that on one side uh, we will put limitations so you can you know kind of take a break but at the same time because their business uh, is being run on this they want you to spend more and more time on this this is how they will make money so we need to be careful about um, especially these these, these big companies um, the, the objective of the company is to increase their profit they don't Um, to be honest, they don't really care about our well-being. Um, everything they have in place, the security measures, the limitations, these are because people demand it. Um, the, um, people and policies demand that you have security features, you have um, safety, um, you know, there is no abuse on your on your app. These are things which the government uh, has set laws for. This mm -hmm. is why they are doing. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't even 
bother about this. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much for that uh, detailed take um, on uh, AI Imamanan. Um, moving swiftly on now to the second topic um, of the morning, which is about education. But we shall focus uh, more on um, education um, in, in a country uh, called Lebanon. So the economic crisis and the lockdowns there have led to schools actually being shut down and pupils dropping out. But homegrown solutions are emerging to fill the gap. The Shatila refugee town on the outskirts of Beirut measures one square kilometer and houses more than 14,000 refugees. It's been home to Batul Ghanem for a third of her life. Since fleeing the Syrian war in 2011, Ghanem has learned to navigate the settlement's narrow winding streets and pebbly ground by heart, as well as the tangled web of electricity wires dangling between its buildings or people's heads. But it was not until her daughter began going to school that she noticed that many of the other more than 650 children in Shatila did not attend. They were on the streets. When I walked my own daughter to, to and from the school, I asked why they weren't in class. And the parents' matter-of-fact response was, they just don't go, she says. Lebanon, which is experiencing what the World Bank has described as one of the most severe crises um, globally since the middle of the 19th century hosts the world's largest number of refugees per capita. The crisis, which has slashed 70, uh, sorry, 97% of the value of its currency, the lira, since 2019, has had a severe impact on 1.9, uh, 1.5 million refugees from Syria living in the country, with 9 out of 10 Syrian refugees living in in extreme poverty, education has become a luxury most are unable to afford. It was so sad, kids of 14 and older could not read and I had the time to help, said Ganem and I uh, had resigned as an assistant in a dentist clinic for my kids and now had time on hands, so I made that my cause. Um, as mentioned before, the, classes, the crisis in Lebanon is deep and the education system has been left high and dry as teachers' salaries have lost out by about 90% of their value. Frequent strikes and resignations have kept public schools shut for more than a year and many closed down altogether in the past three years because they could not afford the running costs. Refugee um, children face additional barriers, including xenophobia, limited spaces in uh, public schools, um, lack of civil documentation and limit, limited pathways to transition to formal education. This according to the UN Agency for Refugees, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR. In August 2020, Ganem transformed a small room to her husband's photography studio in Chatilla into a classroom. She knocked on neighbors' doors, inviting their children to come for two hours every day. There were no desks, and students rested their books on their laps, but they still came with an eagerness to learn reading numbers and songs, she says. As more children came, she extended her teaching hours and volunteers arrived to help. With funding from the Austrian NGO Caravan for Humanity, a centre was set up with 19 staff and 50 desks and three blackboards. 
To date, we've taught about 300 children between 6 and 16 in the Oxygen Centre. We named it that because learning is just as important as oxygen, she says. Nara Zubera, 10, was 4 when she left Syria with her family and had never set foot in a school. As she proudly shows the certificate from the Oxygen Centre for coming first in a test, she says, I dream of being a teacher, and today I'm one step closer to that. Before coming to the centre, I could not write my name, but now I read street signs to my mother. Another mother, Raja, says her 11-year-old daughter, Rafa, is delighted to attend the classes. We live in a compact and cramped place, and Oxygen is the one venue where my daughter can be herself a child, she says. Half an hour's walk away in the heart of Beirut, 31-year-old Merwat Akar lies in Burjul, uh, Burjena refugee camp. Another place with limited resources and sweeping poverty overcrowded with about 31,000 refugees. Most are Palestinians there and more than 2,500 of them are children. Children in the camp can attend public schools only after all Lebanese applicants have been accepted, as more Lebanese families have transferred their children into public rather than private schools. Because of the financial crisis, fewer spaces are available for refugees. Majda Nagib, a founding member of the Najda Social Association set up in 1976 to support Palestinian refugees in the camp, says the difficult socio-economic situation left people struggling to survive increased the number of working children. She said four schools run by the UN had served children in the camp until the pandemic ushered in online schooling, schooling, which many families and children lacked the technology to access. The number of school dropouts has not recovered since, she said. It was during one COVID lockdown when Akar noticed a change in her three children. I used to homeschool them all through the pandemic and a school closed their doors, but they had no place in the camp to relieve their energy. And I noticed an increase in their aggressive attitude and stubbornness, she says. Akar, a business administration graduate, says she felt upset that a whole generation of children would miss out on the opportunity to learn and interact with society. She soon noticed that the other parents were seeing a similar deterioration in their, in their children's behavior, and she decided to act. More on this story. Uh, education, is it as important as education right after um, this quick break uh, and a few messages? You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Holy Qur'an states, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. An-Nur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees and a person who has gone astray 
finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God, which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed, as well as the universe that cannot be observed, is created by God. In order to give an understanding of this light, God sends His chosen people who spread the nur, which comes down from the heavens throughout the world. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, writes, that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon, was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls. In short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our Lord and Master, the chief of the prophets, the chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the chosen one. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur, which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago. He also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, 
When the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? Writings of the Promised Messiah In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. We are now talking about education, um, the importance of education generally, but also specifically with uh, the um, economic situation in Lebanon, the impact on education in that country. We now have on the line with us uh, Mr. Raid Sawala, who is from the Norwegian Refugee Council. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the breakfast show. Excellent. Can you hear me all right, Mr. Savala? I can hear you well. Okay, excellent. Uh, so can we. Let's um, uh, let's uh, hope that the, con- the, the connection remains that way. Okay. Um, Tell us about the work that, uh, so you, you've obviously been involved um, in the youth program at the uh, um, Norwegian Refugee Council Lebanon office. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so um, thank you for uh, hosting uh, uh, the call and for the interest in knowing more about the education situation in Lebanon. So. Uh, Norwegian Refugee Council operates here uh, in Lebanon since uh, 2006, uh, and uh, we continue to um, support the systems and support uh, children uh, attending uh, education and youth uh, education um, since then. So we responded to different uh, influxes to Lebanon from the Iraqis and to Syrians uh, starting 2012 up until now. So what we provide is we try to provide uh, education and formal services towards um, um, Lebanese and also Lebanese into um, integrating again in the formal system. So the objective is for us to um, provide them with services where they can pick up or uh, integrate again into the formal system. Um, we provide uh, early childhood education, uh, um, basic literacy and democracy for different levels. 
so students uh, and children can reintegrate in the formal system based on their age. So that's the, the objective. Thank you, Mr. Sawala. Uh, Lebanon has a in, uh, Lebanon has a large uh, refugee population. How has the education of refugee children been affected by the pandemic and the economic crisis over there? Very good question. So technically, um, I would say that the education system in Lebanon was even struggling to cater for the country's children. None. Uh, uh, non-Lebanese even before the pandemic, right? So add to that um, um, the aftermath of the um, economic crisis that hit Lebanon starting uh, uh, 2019, that um, created enormous barriers at all levels um, for education system. Mr. Wright, uh, we have lost uh, you. Are you still on the line? Uh, Mr. Wright Sawala, are you still on the line? No, I think we have uh, just lost the connection to Mr. Wright. Uh, and we will try to um, connect back to him. I think this uh, presents a good opportunity for us to um, uh, to talk about um, education and the importance of uh, education in Islam. So, um, what uh, what does Islam um, say about education? And I think it's also important um, to maybe talk about the importance. Uh, Islam gives to education of women as well because this is something an oft-repeated allegation um, in Islam or rather against Islam mm -hmm. uh, that women um, uh, are not um, uh, given the same rights of education or deprived of education so yeah so so maybe just a few minutes to talk about uh, this very important um, aspect yes definitely um, uh, women I mean refugees um, older people everyone uh, education or the right or um, I'd rather say that the responsibility of education is on everyone um, as the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him uh, said that it is the duty of every Muslim man and every Muslim woman to acquire knowledge it's the duty um, and in that respect um, uh, we have, uh, I mean, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, even um, in, in other Islamic countries, women are, um, you know, thriving in education. I think that's my guess. Um, uh, I think I've, I've, I've read this somewhere that uh, on, on average, women are better at education than men um, or girls are better than boys on, on average. And more girls tend to be uh, do tend to do better in their in their examinations and in in their schoolwork compared to boys, um, and and that itself I think shows that um, in terms of education there is no uh, difference. Um, also in other aspects, but especially education uh, for men and women, it's uh, it's um, important for both of them to to have education, and it is important for. Um, uh, every member of the society to have access to education. Um, since we're talking about Lebanon, um, the, the the situation over there is 
um, obviously very sad. Um, there is, um, I mean, Lebanon is one of the, they have the highest ratio of um, refugees per capita. And it does pose challenges that uh, you, they have to provide more uh, schools, uh, more uh, teachers, more education uh, facilities. Um, but I hope this situation over there improves. Um, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we have a charity called Humanity First, who is working on several humanitarian projects, including providing necessities of life, such as education around the world, and education for all um, shall lead to a brighter future. Certainly, we believe that access to education is key to breaking the cycle of poverty that has plagued economically weak countries for generations. Um, this is uh, what His Holiness Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih V, may Allah be his helper, he addressed um, at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris. Um, there is a, another narration of the Holy Prophet um, in, uh, in in the books of um, a hadith which mentions that whoever takes a path upon which to obtain knowledge uh, God Almighty makes the path to paradise easy for him uh, so you can link education with paradise um, the reason for that is that um, I mean to to reach any status you need to have knowledge of that and um, education is um, education does not mean you know going to school math science physics uh, I think today we, we lack a lot of uh, education in in uh, emotional intelligence for example um, people don't know how to how to treat uh, their children sometimes people don't know how to speak to their parents so this is also an important aspect but absolutely and, and, and so is formal education let's um, uh, let's now try one more time um, and then we can return to this discussion uh, Mr. Raid uh, Sawala who is uh, working as the education and youth program specialist in the Norwegian Refugee Council in Lebanon um, Mr. Sawal um, Mr. Raid can you hear us now yeah, I can hear you well, and sorry for the technical issue. Yeah, I think yeah, we, we um, the line dropped. Anyways, we're lovely to have you back. So, um, yeah, so you, you were talking to us about um, uh, the help and support that you are providing. So, Lebanon has a large refugee population. Um, how has uh, that uh, affected, um, uh, how the pandemic actually has affected the education for children in Lebanon and how you were able to support. I think that was the question we were asking when we uh, got dropped off. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, of course, I was saying that the pandemic affected uh, the education for a couple of years, but that also came on top of um, um, the system, the education system in Lebanon was struggling even before the pandemic. So add, add that uh, uh, to the pandemic effect and moving towards online education in a country where most of its population, at least the highest percentage of its public uh, system children does not necessarily have access to the technology nor the internet. If you uh, look at um, the internet prices in Lebanon, uh, during the pandemic uh, and before, it's one of the most expensive internet subscription costs in the region. So, um, um, so that created uh, technically a gap 
uh, in uh, in students' knowledge and ability uh, for them to achieve uh, the objectives of a couple of years where they attended online and disrupted um, education and mainly the formal system. So, um, so yeah, um, for refugees being uh, also more vulnerable for for this and with the lack of electricity also, that uh, doubled the problem uh, uh, for the refugee population and for Lebanese attending uh, former systems. Um, Thank so, you. Um, so, yeah. And uh, why do you think uh, it is important to ensure that refugees have the e- uh, you know equal opportunity in education and uh, are they posing any um, extra challenges such as a language barrier maybe uh, however I think that the, uh, if the refugees are from Syria they shouldn't have a problem since the uh, um, I mean you speak Arabic in Lebanon as well that's correct I think the education of all children is the most essential factor necessary for the recovery for any country, right? So we are not talking here about the importance of education um, because I assume that we all agree that every child uh, uh, has the right um, to access uh, quality education. But um, but this also created a problem because also we cannot turn a blind eye to the struggle that the state is facing in terms of um, operational cost of the schools. Like mm-hmm. the whole economic system is making it almost impossible for some schools to keep the classrooms lit. So um, we all recognize that this is a huge challenge on on the system, but also um, we need to take um, a decision uh, on on this and facilitate the return of uh, uh, refugee and Lebanese to the formal system. So today also um, is the first day of the scholastic year 23-24. So today um, Lebanese started their first day in public schools in Lebanon with also no proper information about the procedure of starting the second shift for non-Lebanese in the coming future. So um, hmm. so that's also something uh, um, we, we keep asking for. Uh, of course, add to that the increase of uh, cost for enrollment in school. Uh, um, I'm not sure about the figures, but the, the main barrier now um, is being uh, the cost of transportation add to that the increased cost of of living and the increased cost of education needs, right? So imagine that even teachers cannot no longer, can no longer afford going to work. Uh, The transportation cost was increased more than 500% between today and 2021. So that's also something uh, extremely affecting the ability for parents, children, and teachers to, to commute and to uh, retain at, uh, at schools. Yes, definitely. And this is not only affecting uh, public, but also many of the private uh, schools are facing the same, the same issue with transportation. 
Yes. Just to understand this a little more, um, uh, are the schools not uh, sort of located within the refugee areas or are they located outside uh, those areas that they have to commute? Very, very good question. Um, so um, it, it depends on where they are, I think, but mostly refugees and non-Lebanese in general are spread all across as the schools are spread, spread all, all across. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the unfortunate uh, event is that also with the extremely high operational cost on many, uh, they had to drop a couple of rented schools. Uh, so now many students, I would say, uh, who used to go to the uh, neighborhood school are obliged to commute to the um, um, nearby schools. But I would say that this is um, not at a scale, but what is mainly causing the problem is the increased cost of transportation. Because anyway, if it, even if it's a short commute, um, it is extremely expensive. So many um, um, NGOs, NGOs and education service providers are now trying to subsidize or to support the school transportation. But this is also very limited and uh, needs a huge resources and attention from education donor community to increase funding so people can also um, come around the barriers of uh, engaging in schools. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Raid Sawala, for joining us. Uh, apologies for all the technical issues there, but it's great to finally uh, have you, you and uh, and listen to all the um, the help, the great help that you are um, actually doing, but also the challenges that you're facing. Thank you very much once again. Have a lovely day and the rest of the week, and peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was uh, Mr. Raid Sawala from the Norwegian Refugee Council. Let me now go straight to our last guest for uh, this segment, Mr. Kamar Gosen, who is an independent, Kamar Gosen, Miss Kamar Gosen, I should say, who is an independent journalist uh, and volunteer at the Caravan of Humanity um, uh, organization, which is an Austrian association founded in 2020. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Hello, thank you so much. I would like to thank you for shedding light on this topic, sir. No, uh, you're very welcome, and absolutely, this is a very, very important topic. So let's ta- let's talk about a caravan uh, of humanity. So tell us about the work that you are doing, especially around uh, education um, of refugees in Lebanon. Yes, uh, the caravan of humanity is, uh, as we said, as uh, Australian association founded in 2020, comprising a dedicated team of over 100 volunteers. Um, its mission is centered and like uh, on assisting individuals learning from poverty, war, and education. So uh, this is the main idea of this association, um, like in, in the whole world. It's not specific in Lebanon. Right. Okay. Uh- just to get some idea, uh, what sort of numbers would you say um, uh, you uh, you can tell us or share uh, for the children um, or even adults that you are actually helping to educate in Lebanon? Uh, are you asking about uh, how many students they get, uh, let's say, enroll again in, in the education system because of the humanitarian opportunity 
set up on the community. This is your question. I didn't get what you, what you mean exactly. Yeah, so uh, so when you when you say that you help children um, uh, educate in in Lebanon, uh, do you have any yeah. any sort of uh, numbers available with you? How many children? How many schools yeah. are you able to support? Yeah, of course. Actually, the organization opened two schools in two camps in two different camps in Lebanon, especially in Beirut. Uh, this camp, like like it's. it's Uh, get the gap uh, between the the education system and the people who didn't the child they didn't get the education um, for about 300 like child uh, in in the year. So until now, like they are they are a huge number. They, they do two schools. They are open after the pandemic after. 2021 and uh, until now the number of the children are like, like around 300 in each school so um, yep excellent okay um so in terms of the the current situations we you may have heard we were talking to uh, Mr. Raid uh, Sawada from the Nor- Norwegian Refugee Council and he was mentioning that the, one of the biggest challenges now is cost of living and a lot of people are actually finding it difficult to even yeah. uh, travel to schools um are you finding the same and is there anything uh, any help that you were able to uh, to do in that area Uh, excuse me, uh, your voice is not clear. Just yeah, so... Uh, I'm so sorry, I don't know the question. Yeah, so no, no, that's fine. So I was asking, uh, in terms of yeah. the um, cost of living crisis, uh, and because of that, okay. the um, transportation costs have, uh, have gone up tremendously. So our previous guest was mentioning that yeah. that is impacting um, teachers, both teachers and uh, and pupils, children reaching schools and a lot of people have actually dropped out as uh, as a result of that are you finding the same yes for sure the crisis in lebanon like actually lebanon currently hosts approximately about like the resistance uh, the resistance the refugees in lebanon is about a million uh, people but the, the the general security they said like the number is more So of course, the, the, when, when we are talking about the economic crisis, we will talk about the refugees because they are the most, uh, like, uh, the most people who will suffer from this crisis. So yeah, of course, I agree with that. Like most of the people, they are like lose uh, their right to most of the child, they, lo- they lose their the right for learning, and uh, they are quite the schools because of the economic crisis. They are quite the schools to go to go to war. So uh, it's been uh, in a bad situation now because of, of what happened. Actually, the World Bank uh, has created the Lebanon crisis as one of the most uh, global crisis since like mid-century, so mid-19th century. So, So, uh, yes, the refugees is the most people they are affected on, on this crisis. And this leads them to, to, to take their, their children out of school to help in war. And, uh, of course, too many stuff they are affected instead of the economic crisis. But the main, main problem uh, is the economic crisis or what happened in Lebanon in general. 
Sure. Thank you very much, Kamar Gosen, for joining us. Uh, you are an independent journalist and a volunteer at the Caravan of Humanity. Much appreciated your input to the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Peace be with you. Um, right. Um, coming back to uh, Imam um, Usman Minan. So we were talking about the importance of uh, education. We've got about you know five uh, minutes or so left to the show. Yeah, just just to wrap up. Uh, number one, um, you know, I'm reminded of um, that uh, tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he says that knowledge is the lost property of uh, of a believer, uh, which tells me that education um, has. A, a, a huge importance. Um, I guess one one other question that I asked you before was that you know is it equally applicable to men and women in Islam? Yes, um, I was speaking about this, um, and I mentioned how women are you know thriving you know not just in Islam but globally. Uh, but the the issue, I think, the reason why this kind of allegation or this this um, hmm. and this misnomer yeah occurs is, yeah this, people think like this is that um, it is true that in some Islamic countries and Islam, Islamic households uh, women are, are you know um, seen as just house workers hmm. um, but the, the the misunderstanding of this is that there is different responsibilities and there's different um you know the different priorities you have, and the, the is, isn't it more cultural in 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 those countries? I mean, the Islamic teaching is mm. is quite clear that you know as far as Muslim uh, as far as Muslim women women go, they have every right to educate yes. themselves, right? Yes. But the the so misunderstanding the is yeah. is not in um, the right. They have the right. Everybody knows that. Mm. But uh, I think people misunderstand where to put that right. Uh, does education come first or children? Uh, does your housework come first or education? Uh, does your health what, what come do you first mean? or education? So, so, for example, you know, in Afghanistan, mm. um, you know, uh, Taliban don't uh, allow girls to go to schools. Is that is that an Islamic practice? No, absolutely not. Right. So, because for girls, younger girls, they don't have any other responsibilities. Their only, resp- not only, but their their most important responsibility is education. Right. In fact, yeah. So for them, going to school is the most important thing. Yeah, which is right? which is a basic human right that they yes, have. Yes, right? but I'm seeing where the where, the, where this uh, um, notion comes from that women are not given education is I think more in married women, because once you are married, you I think your responsibilities, your priorities change, and your number one priority is not education anymore it's your house your family comes first uh, in my opinion this is how it should be and the reason for that is that uh, if if a wife or if a, if a mother is not able to go to increase her education um, it won't be as damaging as uh, if she does not take care of her children's education so yeah, this is what I'm obviously saying children that, ch- after yeah. marriage one can one can imagine yes uh, children obviously and this is would, where the uh, notion comes priority. from that uh, I, I would actually you know, challenge that maybe a little bit. I think mm-hmm. the notion comes more from uh, you know uh, some of these practices in Afghanistan and some other Muslim countries um, where women are not allowed to uh, to go to school and or colleges or universities for that matter. And that's where uh, you know, um, and that of course, uh, unfortunately, is then blown uh, all across uh, the proportion mm-hmm. in the Western media. But that, I mean, it has to be said, I think, uh, in black and white, that that is an un-Islamic practice. That, that has is, nothing but to do. I'm seeing even within the Islamic community, the, with, 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 it, with it, that um, uh, the the challenge that um, that that poses is that you know the impression that 
that other people, especially Western people, get is that uh, in Islam, women mm. are are not uh, allowed to educate. I totally get the point that you're making, which is that yeah. that you know after um uh, after marriage then uh, especially after having children you know children are um, are the priority but then also there's there shouldn't be nothing stopping women from no, definitely from, not now from, just clarifying from that education not just uh, uh, in the west also correct. in in islamic countries people are confused about education yeah. whereas education is important for women just as it's for men um, exactly I mean, that, from yeah. from childhood until uh, the end, they have to. I know so many people. They they're still in education. They have children. They're single mothers, and they're doing so much work, and nothing is stopping them. Correct. But I'm I, just saying there are priorities. Absolutely, uh, and, and and to you know to make uh, to make the point that I was making, uh, your wife um, uh, still studies, right? So she's yeah. married, but you know she um, right. uh, she goes to university. <laughs> so I guess that <laughs> that sums it up very well, right? That brings us to the end of the show today. Uh, I must thank our producer. Samab Rahman, researchers Faiza Mansoor, Safa Noor, Amber Kamal, and Hassan uh, Hassan Walid. Thank you very much, uh, you uh, to you for joining us uh, today on uh, this live edition of the Breakfast Show. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the entire show, you can always go onto SoundCloud and listen to the recording. We've discussed two topics today. The first one was about artificial intelligence in the workplace, and then secondly, we talked about education, the importance of education, and he focused on the situation in Lebanon and the issues that uh, especially refugees are having um, with regards to education in that country. Thank you very much once again. News is next.